many of us in this world find ourselves searching for ways to feel more alive. We move through our lives day after day, living through the same repetitive cycles and the same stressful patterns that often leave us feeling defeated, underappreciated, or unfulfilled. But what if there were a different way to perceive life? What if out there we were able to find the keys to a happy, healthy, and fulfilling reality in the lives that we're living right here, right now? For those of us who are looking for a way to transform our lives, for those of us who are looking to fully live in this moment, to change how we feel, how we perceive the world, and awaken to a better reality so we can fully live this life. This is the Live This Life Podcast. And I'm your host, Heath Cummings. I'm here to inspire you to ask yourself the question, are you living or are you killing time? What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode. We're going to dive in into another chapter of The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. But before we do, I just wanted to mention, if you listen to the podcast, you enjoy it. If you wouldn't mind going on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review, I definitely love to hear the feedback from people. I love to see the messages that get left on there. Hearing some some great things about the podcast uh, definitely fuels my fire to keep this going. So um, please, if you enjoy it, go on there, leave a rating and review. It would be greatly appreciated. Also, if you haven't already, go to Instagram and Facebook. Um, you can follow the, the Live This Life Facebook page and Instagram page where we put a lot of things up on there. Um, new episode notifications, all that kind of stuff, and when some of our guests are coming on. Um, so go check those out as well. So before we dive into Chapter 7, um, in Chapter 6, it had some very valuable information, especially right now. It talked about um, doing certain things, certain inner works that can help boost the immune system, which is huge. Um, one of the things that was in that chapter that resonated so deeply for me when I remember uh, reading back on it was where they talked about if you had a disposition towards something, if someone just said that honey isn't good, you know, honey's bitter, and you just had that disposition that honey was bitter, you would just think that it was, you know, just that just that mindset would put you in that, that frame of mind. And they said the same thing goes for God. If you had a negative connotation about God or a higher power or source, universe, whatever you want to call it, if you had a negative connotation of that, you're going to carry that forward and really never develop a relationship with whatever that means to you and for you, um, and therefore maybe missing out on a whole lot of fulfillment in your life. So I thought that was a great point to make in that chapter. But if you haven't listened to that one, go back and listen to that one. It's a great one. Um, and before we dive into the chapter, if there's any new listeners who haven't heard us read these chapters of this book before, um, just several key things. Whenever he says the word being, I try to emphasize the word being because it's with a capital B and that's supposed to mean, you know, higher power source, um, all that stuff. Also, there's little pause marks within the chapter where I'll play a brief clip of music where he wants you to pause. So whenever I stick that that clip of music in the middle of the chapter, it's just a pause mark to reflect on the last thing that was said before we move on to the next part. And then there's small portions of these chapters that have italicized questions, which are generalized questions that Eckhart Tolle had received over the years, um, either collectively or actually individually from, from different people asking these questions that he wanted to address in the book. So 
Those are those three little caveats to this book. So let's dive in, get it growing. And this is chapter seven, Portals into the Unmanifested. The first section of this chapter is called Going Deeply into the Body. The question italics, I can feel the energy inside my body, especially in my arms and legs, but I don't seem to be able to go more deeply as you suggested earlier. Make it into a meditation. It needn't take long. 10 to 15 minutes of clock time should be sufficient. Make sure first that there are no external distractions such as telephones or people who are likely to interrupt you. Sit on a chair, but don't lean back. Keep the spine erect. Doing so will help you stay alert. Alternatively, choose your own favorite position for meditation. Make sure the body is relaxed. Close your eyes. Take a few deep breaths. Feel yourself breathing into the lower abdomen as it were. Observe how it expands and contracts lightly with each in and out breath. Then become aware of the inner energy field of the body. Don't think about it. Feel it. By doing this, you reclaim the consciousness from the mind. If you find it helpful, use the, quote, light visualization I described earlier. When you can feel the inner body clearly as a single field of energy, let it go, if possible, of any visual image and focus exclusively on the feeling. If you can, also drop any mental image you may still have of the physical body. All that is left then is an all-encompassing sense of presence or, quote, beingness, and the inner body is felt to be without a boundary. Then, take your attention even more deeply into that feeling. Become one with it. Merge with the energy field so that there is no longer a perceived duality of the observer and the observed, of you and your body. The distinction between inner and outer also dissolves now, so there is no inner body anymore. By going deeply into the body, you have transcended the body. Stay in this realm of pure being for as long as feels comfortable. Then become aware again of the physical body, your breathing and physical senses, and open your eyes. Look at your surroundings for a few minutes, in a meditative way, that is, without labeling them mentally, and continue to feel the inner body as you do so. Having access to that formless realm is truly liberating. It frees you from bondage to form and identification with form. It is life in its undifferentiated state prior to its fragmentation into multiplicity. We may call it the unmanifested, the invisible source of all things, the being within all beings. It is a realm of deep stillness and peace, but also of joy and intense aliveness. Whenever you are present, you become, quote, transparent to some extent to the light, the pure consciousness that emanates from this source. You also realize that the light is not separate from who you are, but constitutes your very essence. The next section, the source of chi. In italics, it says, is the unmanifested what in the East is called chi, a kind of universal life energy? No, it isn't. The unmanifested is the source of chi. 
Chi is the inner energy field of your body. It is the bridge between your outer you and the source. It lies halfway between the manifested and the world of form, and the unmanifested. Chi can be likened to a river or an energy stream. If you take the focus of your consciousness deeply into the inner body, you are tracing the course of this river back to its source. Chi is the movement. The unmanifested is stillness. When you reach a point of absolute stillness, which is nevertheless vibrant with life, you've gone beyond the inner body and beyond chi to the source itself, the unmanifested. Chi is the link between the unmanifested and the physical universe. So if you take your attention deeply into the inner body, you may reach this point, the singularity, where the world dissolves into the unmanifested, and the unmanifested takes on form as the energy stream of chi, which then becomes the world. This is the point of birth and death. When your consciousness is directed outward, mind and world arise. When it is directed inward, it realizes its own source and returns home into the unmanifested. Then when your consciousness comes back to the manifested world, you reassume the form identity that you temporarily relinquished. You have a name, a past, a life situation, a future. But in one essential respect, you are not the same person you were before. You will have glimpsed a reality within yourself that is not, quote, of this world. Although it's, it isn't separate from form, or it isn't separate from it, just as it isn't separate from you. Now let your spiritual practice be this. As you go about your life, don't give 100% of your attention to the external world and to your mind. Keep some within. I've spoken about this already. Feel the inner body even when engaged in everyday activities, especially when engaged in relationships or when you're dealing with nature. Feel the stillness deep inside. Keep the portal open. It is quite possible to be conscious of the unmanifested throughout your life. You feel it as a deep sense of peace somewhere in the background, a stillness that never leaves you, no matter what happens out there. You become a bridge between the unmanifested and the manifested, between God and the world. This is the state of connectedness with the source that we call enlightenment. Don't get the impression that the unmanifested is separate from the manifested. How could it be? It is the life within every form, the inner essence of all that exists. It pervades this world. Let me explain. The next section is called Dreamless Sleep. You take a journey into the unmanifested every night when you enter the phase of deep dreamless sleep. You merge with the source. You draw from it the vital energy that sustains you for a while when you return to the manifested, the world of separate forms. This energy is much more vital than food. Man does not live by bread alone. But in dreamless sleep, you don't go into it consciously. Although the body, bodily functions are still operating, quote, you no longer exist in that state. Can you imagine what it would be like to go into, the, into dreamless sleep with full consciousness? It is impossible to imagine it because that state has no content. The unmanifested does not liberate you until you enter it consciously. That's why Jesus did not say the truth will make you free, but rather you will know the truth and the truth will make you free.
This is not a conceptual truth. It is the truth of eternal life beyond form, which is known directly or not at all. But don't attempt to stay conscious in dreamless sleep. It is highly unlikely that you will succeed. At most, you may remain conscious during the dream phase, but not beyond that. This is called lucid dreaming, which may be interesting and fascinating, but it is not liberating. So use your inner body as a portal through which you enter the unmanifested, and keep that portal open so you stay connected with the source at all times. It makes no difference as far as the inner body is concerned, whether your outer physical body is old or young, frail or strong. The inner body is timeless. If you are not yet able to feel the inner body, one of the other portals, use one of the other portals, although ultimately they are all one. Some I've spoken about at length already, but I'll mention them again briefly. The next section called Other Portals. The now can be seen as the main portal. It is the essential aspect of every other portal, including the inner body. You cannot be in your body without being intensely present in the now. Time and the manifested are as inextricably linked as are the timeless now and the unmanifested. When you dissolve psychological time through intense present moment awareness, you become conscious of the unmanifested both directly and indirectly. Directly, you feel it as the radiance of power of your conscious presence. No content, just presence. Indirectly, you are aware of the unmanifested in and through the sensory realm. In other words, you feel the God essence in every creature, every flower, every stone, and you realize all that is, is holy. This is why Jesus, speaking entirely from his essence or Christ identity, says in the Gospel of Thomas, quote, Split a piece of wood, I am there. Lift up a stone, and you will find me there. Another portal into the unmanifested is created through the cessation of thinking. This can start with a very simple thing, such as taking one conscious breath or looking in a state of intense alertness at a flower so that there is no mental commentary running at the same time. There are many ways to create a gap in the incessant stream of thought. This is what meditation is all about. Thought is a part of the realm of the manifested. Continuous mind activity keeps you imprisoned in the world of form and becomes an opaque screen that prevents you from becoming conscious of the unmanifested, conscious of the formless and timeless God essence in yourself and in all things and all creatures. When you are intensely present, you don't need to be concerned about the cessation of thinking, of course, because the mind then stops automatically. That's why I said the now is an essential aspect of every other portal. Surrender, the letting go of mental emotional resistance to what is, also becomes a portal into the unmanifested. The reason for this is simple. Inner resistance cuts you off from other people, from yourself, from the world around you. It strengthens the feeling of separateness on which the ego depends for its survival. The stronger the feeling of separateness, the more you are bound to the manifested, to the world of separate forms. The more you are bound to the world of form, the harder and more impenetrable your form identity becomes. The portal is closed and you are cut off 
from the inner dimension, the dimension of depth. In the state of surrender, your form identity softens and becomes somewhat transparent, as it were, so the unmanifested can shine through you. It's up to you to open the por- open a portal into your life that gives you conscious access to the unmanifested. Get in touch with the energy field of the inner body. Be intensely present. Disidentify from the mind. Surrender to what is. These are all portals you can use, but you only need to use one. In italics it says, Surely love must also be one of those portals. No, it isn't. As soon as one of the portals is open, love is present in you as the, quote, feeling realization of oneness. Love isn't a portal. It's what comes through the portal into this world. As long as you are completely trapped in your form identity, there can be no love. Your task is not to search for love, but to find a portal through which love can enter. The next section is called silence. The question italics says, are there any other portals apart from those you just mentioned? Yes, there are. The unmanifested is not separate from the manifested. It pervades this world, but is so well disguised that almost everybody misses it completely. If you know where to look, you'll find it everywhere. A portal opens up every moment. Did you hear that dog barking in the distance? Or that car passing by? Listen carefully. Can you feel the presence of the unmanifested in that? You can't. Look for it in the silence out of which the sound comes and into which they return. Pay more attention to the silence than to the sounds. Paying attention to the outer silence creates inner silence. The the mind becomes still. A portal is opening up. Every sound is born out of silence and dies back into silence and during its lifespan is surrounded by silence. Silence enables the sound to be. It is an intrinsic but unmanifested part of every sound, every musical note, every song, every word. The unmanifested is present in this world as silence. That is why it has been said that nothing in this world is so like God as silence. All you have to do is pay attention to it. Even during a conversation, Become conscious of the gaps between words, the brief silent intervals between sentences. As you do that, the dimension of stillness grows within you. You cannot pay attention to the silence without simultaneously becoming still within. Silence without, stillness within. You have entered the unmanifested. The next section is called space. Just as no sound can exist without silence, nothing can exist without no thing, without the empty space that enables it to be. Every physical object or body has come out of nothing. It is surrounded by nothing and will eventually return to nothing. Not only that, but even inside every physical body there is far more, quote, nothing than, quote, something. Physicists tell us that the solid, the solidity of matter is an illusion Even seemingly solid matter, including your physical body, is nearly 100% empty space. So vast are the distances between the atoms compared to their size. What is more, even inside every atom, there is mostly empty space. 
What is left is more like a vibrational frequency than particles of solid matter, like a musical note. Buddhists have known that for over 2,500 years. Form, quote, form is emptiness. Emptiness is form. States the Heart of Sutra, one of the best-known ancient Buddhist texts. The essence of all things is emptiness. The unmanifested is not only present in this world as silence, it also pervades the entire physical universe as space, from within and without. This is just as easy to miss as silence. Everybody pays attention to the things in space, but who pays attention to the space itself? The question italics. You seem to be implying that, quote, emptiness or nothing is nothing is just nothing, that there is some mysterious quality to it. What is this nothing? You cannot ask such a question. Your mind is trying to make nothing into something. The moment you make it into something, you've missed it. Nothing, space, is the appearance of the unmanifested as an externalized phenomenon in a sense-perceived world. That's about as much as one can say about it, and even that is a kind of paradox. It cannot become an object of knowledge. You can't do a PhD on, quote, nothing. When scientists study space, they usually make it into something and thereby miss its essence entirely. Not surprisingly, the last theory is that space isn't empty at all, that it is filled with some substance. Once you have a theory, it's not too hard to find evidence to substantiate it, at least until some other theory comes along. Quote, nothing can only become a portal into the unmanifested for if you don't try to grasp or understand it. The question italics, isn't that what we are doing here? Not at all. I'm giving you pointers to show you how you can bring the dimension of the unmanifested into your life. We're not trying to understand it. There's nothing to understand. Space has no, quote, existence. To exist literally means to stand out. You cannot understand space because it doesn't stand out. Although in itself it has no existence, it enables everything else to exist. Silence has no existence either, nor does the unmanifested. So what happens if you withdraw attention from the objects in space and become aware of space itself? What is the essence of this room? The furniture, pictures, and so on are in the room, but they're not the room. The floor, walls, ceiling define the boundary of the room, but they are not the room either. So what is the essence of the room? Space, of course. Empty space. There would be no room without it. Since space is, quote, nothing, we can say that it is not there is more important than what is there. So become aware of the space that is all around you. Don't think about it. Feel it as it were. Pay attention to, quote, nothing. As you do that, a shift in consciousness takes place inside you. Here's why. The inner equivalent to objects in space, such as furniture, walls, and so on, are your mind objects, thoughts, emotions, and the objects of the senses. And the inner equivalent of space is the consciousness that enables your mind objects to be, just as space allows all things to be. So if you withdraw attention from things, objects in space, you automatically withdraw attention from your mind objects as well. In other words, you cannot think and be aware of space, or of silence for that matter.
By becoming aware of the empty space around you, you simultaneously become aware of the space of no mind, of pure consciousness, the unmanifested. This is how the contemplation of space can become a portal for you. Space and silence are two aspects of the same thing, the same no thing. They are an externalization of inner space and inner silence, which is stillness, the infinitely creative womb of all existence. Most humans are completely unconscious of this dimension. There is no inner space, no stillness. They are out of balance. In other words, they know the world, or they think they do, but they do not, but they don't know God. They identify exclusively with their own physical and psychological form, unconscious of essence. And because every form is highly unstable, they live in fear. This fear causes a deep misperception of themselves and of other humans, a distortion in their vision of the world. If some cosmic convolution brought about the end of our world, the unmanifested would remain totally unaffected by this. A Course in Miracles expresses this truth poignantly. Quote, nothing real can be threatened. Nothing unreal exists. Herein lies the peace of God. If you remain in conscious connection with the unmanifested, you value love and deeply respect the manifested in every life form in it as an expression of the one life beyond form. You also know that every form is destined to dissolve again and that ultimately nothing out here matters all that much. You have, quote, overcome the world. In the words of Jesus, or as the Buddha put it, you have, quote, crossed over to the other shore. The next section, the true nature of space and time. Now consider this. If there were nothing but silence, it wouldn't exist for you. You wouldn't know what it is. Only when sound appears does the silence come into being. Similarly, if there were only space without any objects in space, it wouldn't exist for you. Imagine yourself as a point of consciousness floating in the vastness of space. No stars, no galaxies, just emptiness. Suddenly space wouldn't be vast anymore. It would not be there at all. There would be no speed, no movement from here to there. At least two points of reference are needed for distance and space to become into being. Space comes into being the moment the one becomes two, and as two become the 10,000 things, as Lao Tzu calls the manifested world. Space becomes more and more vast. So world and space arise simultaneously. Nothing could be without space, yet space is nothing. Before the universe came into being, before the, quote, Big Bang, if you like, there wasn't a vast empty space waiting to be filled. There was no space, as there was no thing. There was only unmanifested, the one. When the one became, quote, the 10,000 things, suddenly space seemed to be there and enabled the many to be. Where did it come from? Was it created by God to accommodate the universe? Of course not. Space is no thing. So it was never created. Go out on a clear night and look up at the sky. The thousands of stars you can see with the naked eye are no more than an infinitesimal fraction of what is there. Over a hundred billion galaxies can, be, can already be detected with the most powerful telescopes. Each galaxy, a 
quote, island universe with billions of stars. Yet that is even more awe-inspiring. What is even more awe-inspiring is the infinity of space itself, the depth and stillness that allows all of that magnificence to be. Nothing could be more awe-inspiring and majestic than the inconceivable vastness and stillness of space. And yet, what is it? Emptiness, vast emptiness. What appears to us as space in our universe, perceived through the mind and the senses of the unmanifested itself, externalized. It is the, quote, body of God. And the greatest miracle is this, that stillness and vastness that enables the universe to be is not just out there in space, it is also within you. When you are utterly and totally present, you encounter it as the inner space of no mind. Within you, it is vast in depth, not an extension. Spatial extension is ultimately a misperception of infinite depth, an attribute of the one transcendental reality. In italics, it says, According to Einstein, space and time are not separable. I don't really understand it, but I think he's saying that time is the fourth dimension of space. He calls it the, quote, space-time continuum. Yes, what you perceive externally as space and time are ultimately illusory, but they contain a core of truth. They are also the two essential attributes of God, infinity and eternity, perceived as if they had an external existence outside of you. Within you, both space and time have an inner equivalent that reveals their true nature as well as your own. Whereas space is the still infinitely deep realm of no mind, the inner equivalent of time is presence, awareness of the eternal now. Remember that there is no distinction between them. When space and time are realized within as the unmanifested, no mind in presence, external space and time continue to exist for you, but they become much less important. The world too continues to exist for you, but it will not bind you anymore. Hence, the ultimate purpose of the world lies not within the world, but in transcendence of the world. Just as you would not be conscious of space if there were no objects in space, the world is needed for the unmanifested to be realized. You may have heard the Buddhist saying, if there were no illusion, there would be no enlightenment. It is through the world and ultimately through you that the unmanifested knows itself. You are here to enable the divine purpose of the universe to unfold. That is how important you are. The last section, conscious death. Apart from dreamless sleep, which I mentioned already, there is one other involuntary portal. It opens up briefly at the time of physical death. Even if you've missed all the other opportunities for spiritual realization during your lifetime, one last portal will open up for you immediately after the body has died. There are countless accounts of by people who had a visual impression of this portal as radiant light and then returned from what is commonly known as a near-death experience. Many of them also spoke of a sense of blissful serenity and deep peace. In the Tibetan Book of the Dead, it is described as the luminous splendor of colorless light of emptiness, which it says is, quote, your own true self. This portal opens up only very briefly. 
And unless you've already encountered the dimension of the unmanifested in your lifetime, you will likely miss it. Most people carry too much residual resistance, too much fear, too much attachment to sensory experience, too much identification with the manifested world. So they see the portal, turn away in fear, and then lose consciousness. Most of what happens after that is involuntary and automatic. Eventually, there will be another round of birth and death. Their presence wasn't strong enough yet for conscious immortality. The question italics. So going through this portal does not mean annihilation? As with all the other portals, your radiant true nature remains, but not the personality. In any case, whatever is real or of true value in your personality is your true nature shining through. This is never lost. Nothing that is of value, nothing that is real, is ever lost. Approaching death and death itself, the dissolution of the physical form, is always a great opportunity for spiritual realization. This opportunity is tragically missed most of the time. Since we live in a cultural th culture that is almost totally ignorant of death, as it is almost totally ignorant of anything that truly matters. Every portal is a portal of death. The death of the false self. When you go through it, you cease to derive your identity from your psychological, mind-made form. You then realize that death is an illusion, just as your identification with form is an illusion. The end of illusion, that's all that death is. It is painful only as long as you cling to illusion. And that is the end of chapter seven. And wow, that last part, such a powerful part. I mean, talking about the death of the physical form is one thing and obviously don't know what that's like. Maybe I'm going to someday. I think we all are. Um, but the the deaths that we go through, it's kind of been a, a theme that's popped up a few times of the death of the different versions of yourself that you go through during a lifetime. You don't realize that you let go of that rooted version of yourself. You don't even realize you have that version of yourself, that that egoic sense, like I can use my own example of the egoic sense that I had of myself in my previous career and mindset. And it's hard to realize that presence until it's dead. Because obviously most of us wouldn't like some of those things once we'd see them. And it's interesting because it says that our radiant true nature remains. And, you know, I think that that carries through, through through some of our times where our ego gets built up the most. Our true self does remain in whatever form we end up taking through a certain point. And then hopefully some sort of egoic death happens and that true self does come out and, and holds true. But yeah, what a powerful part. Definitely uh definitely one that rang true for me because I have I have gone through several egoic deaths, metaphoric ones, whatever you want to call it, but um definitely rang true for me. So we'll wrap up this episode and tune in for the next time we read a chapter out of this book. We'll be starting chapter 8, which is called Enlightened Relationships. I want to mention as we're wrapping up this episode, if you have some questions that you'd like to present on the podcast, some challenges that you've had in life, something that we could focus an episode on, um, if you have certain questions that you know you wanted clarity on certain things, shoot me an email. You can 
you can reach me at connect at livethislife.org. And you can also reach me through Instagram and Facebook as well. If you message those two accounts, I will get them in some way, shape, or form. And I'd like to engage in conversation. If there's something that we can mention on the podcast, I'll keep names you know, anonymous, whatever people hope for. But there's been some good questions that have been – I've had little side conversations and stuff like that that – um, I would love to start reading them on the air. So if, if people have those kinds of things they want to address and um, we get into a dialogue and you wouldn't mind me reading those on the air, like I said, leave the name out and everything, um, hit me up. We'll go back and forth and maybe that could make a good episode. So I'm going to leave you with a song from Soul Rising. I'm going to play one of his newer ones. This one is off the 2020 album Future Mystical, and this one is called Magical World. All right, everybody, until next time, keep living. Thank you very much for listening.